Welcome everybody to Sharpen That Axe, a podcast dedicated to strengthening your skills as a guitar player. Uh, my name is Dylan Murphy, with me always is my co-host John Gillen. John, Colorado, yes. quarantine, still, quarantine. <clears throat> uh, yeah. not to date. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, quarantine everywhere. I, not I to no date this episode, but yes, we are in the midst of the COVID-19 quarantine, same as everywhere else. You know, it's, yeah. you know, by the time this podcast comes out, you know, it could have all blown over, but probably not. So, no. <laughs> so no. <laughs> a, I, I actually have a question for you. COVID-19 rhymes with a lot of other like things. What is your favorite song for COVID-19? Have you seen oh, any of these? No. Like, okay. Think Dexy's Midnight Runners. <laughs> okay <laughs> okay so uh, many songs to choose from for dexies yeah, um, you, you have wow. my corona like that one yeah. works really well that one's good so, yeah okay yeah oh wow that's uh, yeah, i'm gonna try I, and come I, up with some more ones yeah that's yeah, all we can we'll do to... is look at the positives of all this and, and have, some, <laughs> have some fun with it um our last time we were speaking was our uh our, our live stream, which was actually a lot of fun, much more fun than I was anticipating um, in terms of like, what are we going to talk about? And then again, I just got drunk. So yeah, it was, it was a good time. Uh, <laughs> we'll, when in doubt. To, we'll have to do that again soon. So yeah, we had, we had a lot of fun and uh, it's nice positive feedback on that as well. So that is great. Thank you very much everybody for uh, listening in. So um, without further ado, it is our lick of the week time. So John, it is your turn. It feels like it's been ages since your turn. Uh, so <laughs> any, any hints to give me for what the no, lick of the week is? No, I don't think so. Friends, I, I think there's, uh, there's a lot you'll pick up on it, but we'll see. Yeah, friends, for, it, but we'll see. for those of you who don't know, um, this is basically each week one of us picks uh, a lick or a riff or a part of a solo uh, that you know we admire and the other one has to kind of guess what it is uh, or we, we dissect it afterwards we also have an interview with Danny from Marvin as well as our usual what we've been working on what we've been listening to guitar smorgasbord so I'm going to play the uh, I'm going to play this now three two one okay for once I actually know what this is and um, this <laughs> <laughs> so this is the man, the legend. This is Paul Gilbert, right? Is this Racer X? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is... Technically, yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So this is Scarified. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, one of my favorite yeah. instrumentals I've ever heard. Uh, mostly, it's that F sharp minor riff that is just so badass. Um, yeah. That, this is a great song. I think it, it's. Uh, so why did you pick it? Because um, we haven't talked about Paul Gilbert before, so yeah, okay. So interesting. You know, you strangely enough, yeah. So one of the things that I actually was going to say for later on in the series, oh, sorry, in the episode, was the new Paul Gilbert album. Which uh, have you heard it? No, it's I haven't called. Yet. Yeah, so I think it came out a couple of months ago. It is, yeah, it's called "Behold Electric Guitar," and um, so it is essentially his blues album. Like it's, 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 it's all him with like just loads of blues musicians, and it's, 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 it's so good. Like it's just loads of yeah, it's twelve songs. I mean, this is a very prolific guitarist. He puts out something like every couple of couple of years. Uh, John, could you give a brief history of Paul Gilbert for people who don't know? Yeah, so Paul Gilbert is he starts with Racer X mm -hmm. uh in the in the 80s. Now Is that before Mr. Big? Yes, it is. Okay. So, uh he does yeah, Mr. Mr. Big's the next sort of thing that's pretty important as far as his career goes, but when it comes to Racer X, he starts that in 85. Mm -hmm. Um what what's kind of crazy about this is that is, I, I think Racer X combines a lot of the showmanship of and the, the entertainment factor of Van Halen with the speed of somebody like Ingve. Now, Ingve, of course, is a showman par excellence. Um, a dickhead. But, <laughs> but to be fair, I think what Racer X really does is they they help to kind of lay that groundwork for that sort of shrapnel era mm. type, yeah. just shred guitar player. Jason Becker is right around this time too. So what what they're doing really helps to launch this. And I think that's that's part of part of what's interesting about Paul Gilbert. Um, admittedly, I've never really been a fan of his tone. 
and especially if you get into the that that kind of like late 80s racer x stuff it's yeah really tinny now he admits that basically his high-end frequency stuff is gone and so okay, okay. Every, every time the the reason it's so tinny is because he's trying to compensate for that now right okay this version that. here this was later recorded uh with marco miniman on drums yes yeah and so this is this is like a re-release from 2010 or 2009 or something like that and what's cool about this though is you can hear like it's definitely mixed differently it doesn't have that yes. high-end screechy sound to it love paul gilbert as a guitar player he's he's got a couple of or he's got a series on youtube right now I think it's actually a couple of years old. It's just recently popped up into my feed where he just kind of breaks down influential guitarists, influential yes. things for him. Like I, I mentioned Ingbe as well. And and that kind of and his meeting with uh Billy Sheehan. Yes. So Billy Sheehan was playing in bands around LA at the time as well. And uh he got picked up in eighty eight to go with David Lee Roth. That was the whole Steve Vai. Uh, Roth and Steve Vai era. And -hmm. then in Mr. Mr. Big, uh, let's see, it was 91 or, yeah, yeah, so uh, 90, I think, actually. Um, I I hate that song. I hate that Mr. Big song. Like, it's as. That's the thing. Oh my gosh. It's the only song anybody knows by Mr. Big. And this is basically uh one of your your first 80s shred power groups for groups right? yeah 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 super group uh so 89 was the first album okay and yeah but the thing is is like you had these monster musicians with paul gilbert and eric martin on vocals you had billy sheehan on bass uh pat torpy who had played with a bunch of other people. He's, he's not maybe as well known as somebody like Marco Miniman. Yeah. Um, but he's toured, you know, with David Lee Roth and a lot of other people as well. So he's one of those kind of session and touring drummers who just shreds as well. So you had all of these shred guys on all the instruments and the only song they're known for is oh gosh now now i can't even name it what, what's it's like hey little song? girl or something i don't know only want to be with you uh, it's, it's, yeah it's, that's it that's it that's it yeah and as only as crap girl. like it's it's like even worse than more than words like talking of 80s 90s oh, shred band who released yeah. acoustic ballads like but the thing is if you listen to that song like it's paul gilbert playing an acoustic guitar solo as far as like top 40 acoustic pop songs go it's got a pretty cool guitar i just have to say that little that little harmonic at the end chef's fingers really really like that Um, but yeah but but we digress uh friends if you don't know paul gilbert uh yeah highly recommend checking out some of the racer x stuff Uh, Mm -hmm. his recent stuff is really really cool as well I, I, I think that in terms of like the shred gods, that kind of tier that he, he, he resides in, he's much more down to earth and likable, I think, than a lot of the people that kind of occupy that status. He's the kind of guy that you'd want to go for a beer with. Super friendly, super like, yeah, d- down to earth. And uh, yeah, if you can check out the version of Scarified where they're playing in the astronaut suits, the space suits, I think that's the one. Yep, that's, that's, yeah, that's the one I grabbed this from. So, so much yeah. fun. So good. Yeah, so yeah, cool. So now we're moving on to our main feature of the show, um, our main uh, topic, I suppose. So it's rare that we get approached by musicians uh, for interviews on the pod. And we were delighted that Danny from the uh, jazz rock, um, I I suppose... Yeah, fusion band. Uh, shred band is the, is the way he describes it. <laughs> John, you've said shred like eighty times this episode. The shredometer. Uh, it's, gonna... it's only going to get more. There's there's just more to come, man. More really shredding. Is. All the shredding. So I, I'll admit, uh, being not a fusion guy, I was not familiar with Marvin. And I, man, I was blown away. These guys can really play, and it's just it's just it's chops, and it's these really cool kind of winding melodies, all done on a strat, which is you know which i really appreciate yeah and yeah it kind of came out of left field because it's essentially there's no vocals it's it's like sax and guitar 
and them harmonizing and playing off each other. Uh, yeah, and I thought it was it was unreal. So the, you know the music itself, and then yeah, I mean Danny was such a nice guy. Like I hate to reuse yeah. the term again, but so down to earth as well, and so funny man. He's one of the funniest guests we've ever had on the pod. So uh, yeah, this is for everyone. This is for professional musicians. This is for like bedroom guitarists. This interview has everything. You'll get something from it, I think. Um, yeah. So John, anything you'd like to add before we listen to our interview with Danny? No, let's get to it. Sweet. Welcome, everybody. We are here with uh, uh, Danny Rabin um, from the band Marbin. Uh, yeah, so we've, we finally got our uh, time zones all synced up so to make this interview happen. And uh, yeah, Danny, ver- thank you very much for being a part of the show. Um, thank you so much for you. having me. Oh, yeah. such a pleasure. Yeah, so I mean, so we, John and I were un- previously unfamiliar with your band and um, we, we looked you up on like Bandcamp and you're on Spotify and everything. And your videos are great. The live video footage is, is brilliant. So thank um, you. For people- for people that don't know what you guys do, how would you describe it in your own words? Are you probably sick of that? Uh, I'm not sick of it. I mean, we just, uh, we shred. (laughs) (laughs) One word. I mean, that's really what we do. I mean, it's, it's so weird because I don't mean to be that cliche guy to be like, you know, like style is like the way record stores sell records. (laughs) Divisions are in your mind, man. (laughs) <laughs> but but it's but it's funny but but it's like but in a way all you can really do is write the the music that seems to be the best thing you can come up with and go out and play it for people and yes. what that happens to be for us you know and what we like is uh is that kind of instrumental music that leaves space for people to improvise on mm. and okay, cool. uh, and those are the structures we gravitate towards and we just write the best melodies we can. And then when there is a solo, we try to destroy. And, uh, <laughs> and that's what we've always done. We haven't really ever done anything. I don't even know what else there is to do. Like I'm definitely yeah. not going to write complex orchestrations and have like a 20 piece band that, that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> so I'm, go- I'm going for the minimum you need, uh, you know, to, to kind of uh, pragmatically go through this life four guys seems manageable it's our band is guitar saxophone drums and bass and it's just the best we can do with that instrumentation with no singing and making you know structures that are interesting and playing well over them yeah so so you you went to berkeley and i did that that was for so what did you study in berkeley I studied performance, and uh, I guess it worked. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was still doing it, but anyway, I'm still doing it. Uh, I've graduated with a lot of people who can't play for shit, so I don't know how much of it is Berkeley's doing. <laughs> so that's that's really interesting. I've got I've got a student of mine who just applied to go to Berkeley, and uh, I, and. I'd be curious first before I say anything on it, like what was your big takeaway from Berkeley? Like you went, you did the whole music school thing, the thing that everybody talks about, but. Sure. I graduated. I'm the only one that graduated. In the school, I think. <laughs> uh, and nobody, I mean, I guess it's very trendy to go there for a semester or two, Yeah. but I actually stayed the whole time. Yeah. First of all, uh, the power of inertia has been, has been, uh, I'm such a victim of inertia and everything like even Marvin I'm writing my first kind of push in music to its conclusion I've never really deviated so any any okay. track I'm on I tend to I tend to stay and that's just me my character so I was pushed in the Berkeley way and I just graduated but the funny thing about music school is that it gives you this context to ride for like four years and then it's just like whoop I remember after graduating, I was so desperate for money. I moved to Chicago and I applied to for a job at Guitar Center, and <laughs> and and it it didn't help. I didn't get it. I failed some sort of gear question. I didn't know anything about gear, and uh, and I was like, "But I have a Berkeley degree." It's like, well, a lot of people have Berkeley degrees. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what did I think about Berkeley? Um, I thought it was a piece of shit. Uh, I really hated it. <laughs> Rounding I, endorsement for Berkeley. Yeah, I mean. Uh, well, we're not sponsored by Berkeley yet, so that's not a big yeah. issue. <laughs> yeah. I, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. It's, you know, a lot of people that are seeking education mm-hmm. uh, 
first of all, if you need to take a loan and you, you don't come from a rich background or a full scholarship, don't do it. Just yeah. do not do it. It's not like being a lawyer or a doctor. You are not making that money back. If you have any dreams of doing something, what you're going to have to have is freedom and time. And, and you, have to, you have to have a great spirit in your life where you, where you can cut your overhead very low to mm -hmm. make things work. Starting your month at minus $1,000 is going to make all those things impossible. So just don't do it. But, so this podcast already eliminates most of the population. But for those, uh, for the people that were born with a silver spoon and are contemplating their options listening, Berkeley is for you. So the question is, are you the kind of silver spoon person that needs nannying? Or can you... <laughs> can you <laughs> Or can you handle the world manuless? You know, it's the desire to have a daddy. You see, the, the thing is like the people yeah. in your musical community are like, oh, like you should go to this. You're good. Go do this thing. Go to go meet these people that will make you better. And you're like, yeah, there are people that's gonna make me, that are going to make me better at something. So you're riding this. It's a real dream. You know, it's the dream yeah. for guidance. But what you find there is just an institution that's very cold and rigid with people who don't really no nobody really cares about how you play i mean nobody in the world cares about how you play right you know okay. it's like the people you know like the the farther you go from the people you actually know the farther you go from people that care about you that's you know what i mean so they if they don't care about you how are they going to care about your playing? you know so yeah. what they, they, they have standards and they have um courses and they're very generalized and they obviously are the they're the least difficult criteria that a group of people could decide to where they could have a good graduation rate right wow okay. so you need to find you need to learn a few scales and a few ways of voice <laughs> leading things and modes and transcribe a few things and you know pretend like you can read <laughs> and, you know, a hot topic on this show trust me yeah yeah i mean like nobody can read like i i, I meet all these guitar players that, that can read they can't read it's like you know it's it's just a lot of the people that are good at it, it's like oh my god like yeah like throw anything in front of me like twinkle twinkle happy birthday <laughs> <laughs> it's like but the moment it's like a real melody that you see like in complex music they're just like <laughs> think, the face it's like if, you know, if because if you read a book at that level, people would think you're retarded. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so the problem is that like you you can call that reading, but it's like the thing is reading is kind of gone from the world. Once once a uh, once a skill is not necessary, um, you know, for in the working world, you stop developing. Yeah. Around that skill. Of course. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I can play over changes really well, you know, but I, I can because I play it over. I play over changes every night for a few hours in every gig, you know. Yeah. And, it's I, and your that's, ear. Yeah, it's, it's everything. It's just integrate. It's knowledge that's, you know, it's the difference between information and knowledge. Knowledge is information that you chew with your consciousness, you know, and it's Boy. like you got to just you, you got you to chew it every night. Right. It's, it becomes. It becomes something else. It crystallizes. So you, to develop real skill, you have to be in this situation, you know, and the kind of people that say that they can, you know, I, I guess theater people maybe can read, but, you know, you're talking to an adult that has to watch Cats like 200 times a year. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, who gives a shit what they do? <laughs> no paycheck is worth that. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, man, that's fantastic. We're we're eight minutes in and we've hit Berkeley is crap. Fuck you, cats and consciousness. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm happy out with that. Oh, um, sweet. Yeah. So following Berkeley, um, you met. Was it after Berkeley you met Denny Markovich? Yeah, right after Berkeley, we we. So, I had a there? summer. I had a summer in Israel where I came back with a drummer that I played with at Berkeley. Mm. Uh, you know, we we're just kids, and me and Danny met right before our first gig. We had a common. Uh, bassist friend Danny didn't go to a school he went to the army and uh, finished he was a fighter and then he had to put down playing music and reteach himself how to how to play because he didn't play wow. at all for three years 
Um, and we met when he was about six months into this process of retraining himself. And uh, we wanted to start a fusion band. We thought it was fusion, but we weren't skillful enough at that time. So when you play unskillful fusion, <laughs> there's a word for that. It's called jam. Uh, <laughs> it's the same intention, just a different result. Uh, <laughs> you basically fish. Is what you yeah, say. I was yeah. about to say. <laughs> I, just, I just found out that Fish's keyboardist's daddy invented Tylenol. What? Wow. Did you know that? No, that's amazing. Doesn't that make so much sense? Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> a little bit there, yeah. Holy cow. We're learning all kinds of things on this. We're just getting I'm telling excited. you. Man. Yeah. Yeah, dude. If, the, if I find out that, like, the Grateful Dead's, like, drummer's dad inv invented diapers, I can die happy. <laughs> I was just about to make Grateful Dead diapers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sweet. Yeah. So you yeah. met Danny in, in Israel in 2008. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that kind of took a turn. Uh, yeah, I met Danny in 2008, and we started, we immediately had this connection uh, that we could write music together. And I never really wrote music with anybody. I mean, I did, but it was always a nightmare. I always like, was suffering a lot, but with him, we just have a lot of this, we share, we love a lot of the same things, and, and we... I think it, the secret really is to hate a lot of the same things. People don't talk about, about the things, the music you hate, but I hate, there's so much music I hate and I hate it so much. And, uh, <laughs> can, can you, you give know, us an like, example, just like the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, no, it's, I, I, it's, it's, the list is much too long going that way. There's very few things I like, but I just, <laughs> I mean, it's true. You know, I, I really love the music I love, but, uh, Oh, it's it's endless, you know. From and it's an it's across styles too, you know. Just like yeah. bad playing, mm -hmm. I, it really it really bothers me, you know. It's like I can't, I can't uh, not care. I just care about music, you know. Chris, um, yeah. Dave Chappelle had a great joke about, joke about that when when he says he said that the reason he loves comedy so much, uh, and the reason he hates other comedians so much is because he loves comedy. Because you see, like yeah. other people, other people having sex with your girl, you're like, I, I can do it better. <laughs> uh, oh man! But 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 you know, we had we had a long. I think it's important to have the same dislikes as the person you're riding with because you have to make choices together, and you can't have two people present a rhythm, a melody, a fraction of a melody, a chord progression, and to and to and to get two sets of aesthetic uh, reactions to it, right? Like, this is good, this is bad. It's like, ooh, that's, that's a stalemate in, in art, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's two yeah. painters not, a, not agreeing on the difference between orange and green, you know? So if you're trying to make a, if you're trying to make a painting together as two people, you gotta share a lot of aesthetics, right? You gotta share a lot of what, what good and bad means. And we were just in tune in that way. So everything was easy. You know, the, the, the tunes just kind of wrote themselves quickly. And we just were making, and, and all it takes is just making decisions, right? Putting notes in time and deciding on melodies and harmonic progressions and what we're going for. So things kind of started falling into place. And, and we moved to Chicago together in 2009 or 2008. And we put our first record together in 2009 as a duo. And... In 2011, which is when our second album came out, we started touring full-time, and we've been on the road ever since, playing a lot of shows. We play a lot. Yeah, yeah. so that's one thing I wanted to ask, um, just, just a few things about your, I suppose, your approach to touring. I mean, you guys are going on tour next week. You're starting yeah. a new um, U.S. Mm -hmm. tour. Cool. Yeah, so, so five you, and a half weeks. Wow, okay, so you take these big chunks of time. Um, so in some of the... I suppose some of your, your press material, um, you guys have been praised for your DIY approach to, mm -hmm. just, to just music, full stop. And that could have a few different connotations when you say DIY. Sure. Um, when, when you guys approach music and touring and recording, how do you, what does DIY mean to you? I mean, does this mean like not being bound by a record label? Does it mean, you know, making connections with other musicians? Um, how, would you, how would you define that? Yeah, I mean, okay. Big question. We quickly learned that nobody's going to help us. Mm -hmm. uh, we started off with somebody helping us, and he actually helped us 
he fucked us too, but but it was it was done, you know, <laughs> with the smallest penis in the gentlest of ways. <laughs> so we just, kind of, <laughs> you know, we we accrued like you know, minimal damage and learned our lesson. So it was wonderful, you know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I I know. I know, but it, but it's true. It's important. It's important to get screwed over, right? Okay. And um, our career started. We did have a label initially, and we were the opening band for Alan Holdsworth in 2012 for a tour that Amazing. helped. I mean, it didn't help in any. It helped. It helped form the big picture. It helped. It helped us uh, come up with what the goal is and understanding that things would be possible in the long run and get us. It got us thinking about the long game. Everything in music, if you're serious about it, has to do with the long game. There is no short game, especially not in fusion or instrumental music. So everything you do, you got to imagine every action every day is a drop in a bucket, and you're hoping to get the bucket once uh, other fusion musicians kick the bucket <laughs> but uh yeah it's uh it's it's a long game that, that that's the point so to do it yourself for us what it meant initially it meant in 2011 we started we decided that playing in chicago is not gonna amount to anything mm. up till that point we tried to get as many local gigs as possible uh there are a lot of Berkeley books about music business. If you, if you look at any of the literature about music business, it always sells this idea that you need to somehow make a buzz in your local scene. Mm -hmm. And somehow, if you're successful, it's going to bubble over and, um, you know, and spill out, spill out and somebody will notice you and then you will be touring magically. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a lie. That's, yeah. not going, that's not going to happen. That's not how things happen. Another dream that people were sold by music business books is that most rock bands have spent years and years on the road playing clubs and it was some sort of incremental process and then they got to big labels, big stadiums. But most of these bands played clubs for, you know, months, maybe a year yeah. and just went got shot up because they were in the golden age of you know comp vinyl turning into compact discs mm -hmm. and just crazy cd sells a lot of money in music so that whole rock band success story dream is a lie in its core it's not how it actually happened so we had the idea that well, the notion that nobody's going to give us an opportunity. There is no machine. Because very early on, we were talking to the people who are at the top of the fusion machine. And the fusion machine can only basically take, it's the spiral down in your career. Yeah. Nobody's in the yeah. spiral up except for, for Snarky Poppy, right? It's like Snarky Poppy like, had like this YouTube success. And uh, I wouldn't even call them really a fusion band. I don't know what they are. But like, you know, they, they kind of got very famous that's that's a spiral up and they did it by themselves no no label what the labels of today do like john mclaughlin alan holdsworth scott henderson fringham bali all these people it's mm. just riding your career down squeezing the last bits of money by touring asia europe yeah. big shows in the states that that are kind of doing a little not as good as last year and your your guarantee is like a little bit you know too high and so the venue is pissed at you, you know? <laughs> so, and, 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 uh, and it's that kind of move. It's just squeezing the lemon. Right. Um, so we, we knew that if we're not a marquee name, that these people won't know what to do with us. They can't do anything with us really. Um, so what we did was we decided we're going to go out, buy a van and just tour and play every market we can and play every day of the week. We haven't had a day off on tour since 2014 when we go out for like, you know, 50 days. We, uh, we did a tour. It was 54 shows in 52 days. Uh, so we never take days off. We just drive ourselves. Uh, Danny, the saxophone player, books 100% of the shows. He's, you know, through years of experience, just became very good at it. And we built it from scratch. There's no fusion world or fusion scene that you can rely on. There's no infrastructure in place so you just kind of 
imagine the world as being like a complete desert where there are just venues that are empty. And your idea is that first, the first couple of, couple of years really has to do just building that infrastructure for yourself, a circuit, right? Yeah. Just, and, and, and you get a lot of shit together in that time too. You're playing, right? Your playing has to come together and it's probably a good idea to have it come together in front of two people, not in front of a hundred people. Um, and, and learning how to cut down costs, learning what, and also learning what this life means. I mean, there's something that also I say, I say a lot, but I think it's important for anybody who's listening and it's to understand that if you don't, if this, if this is what you think you want, you need to try it for real to see because there's enough disgruntled musicians and the way you get unhappy in life is uh, in, in mythology, they call it ghosts, right? Like the whole idea of a ghost is something that wasn't properly buried, mm. right? Um, that's, how you, that's how you make a ghost. And, and I think it's a metaphor. You shouldn't take that very, very uh, literally. And your dream can become a ghost of a dream very easily if you are worried about your 401k at the age of 21, right? You don't give things a chance. You don't go out there and try to do things. You don't find out what that life is. What you gain is either success in music and, do, and living your dream, or you get to properly bury your dream and move on with your life. And there's a lot of people who think that if they were braver, they would have had a different life. And I think that's a very bad mental place to commit to. So yeah. I, I suggest that if you think this might be what you want to do, you should try doing it without being afraid of failing because even failure is a success for an artist, you know, yeah. in that, in that regard, I don't mean that like you'll learn from it and become a star. It's very possible that you won't become a star. A lot of people are doing stuff that is, uh, that either they're not putting enough energy into, or it's just the wrong time in history. They're just unlucky. They have good ideas that are just not, uh, not going to be in sync with the zeitgeist and that's fine but you got to find out what the world is you can't make a model of the world in your in your mind and think that that's what it is you have to go out there and see what's there and also see how it reacts to your playing and how you can learn to be more effective in it the world's just complex and you've got to go out there and, and see what it is and good things happen to people who try and who are out there, hmm. you know? So uh, back to the DIY thing. Yeah, we do 100% of everything ourselves, whether it's print, you know, I mean, we don't screen print our own t-shirts, but we reach out to the people. This is also the really a golden age of being able to do it. I mean, if you think 10 years in the past, a driver was not only a mechanical job. A driver needed to know roads and how to read maps. Yeah, You don't need to do that. A tour manager needed... To, to have a yellow book with hotel rooms and make reservations and things weren't open 24 seven, you know, all these jobs were actual jobs, not just, not just something that like an intern, you know, does on his iPhone. You can do it on your iPhone and you yeah. should do it on your iPhone. You know, money is just the money you spend paying people is always your money when it's your gig. Yeah. yeah. They, you know, so the more you can do using this technology, the more you can figure it out, the more, the less ways your pie gets cut. So, I mean, I don't know, when you take a look at a small jazz band and, you know, at a big, at a huge pop act, a lot of these big pop acts are generating an amount of money that's absurd compared to the jazz acts. But a lot of jazz acts get slices, slivers of the pie that end up being equal. Yeah. Right? If you have yeah. 40 dancers and a pyrotechnic show, you can always accrue so much overhead that you, that you make no money. It's always possible. You can spend <laughs> whatever. Wow, okay. Yeah. So our that's, pie does not get sliced. Like that. Yeah. yeah. That's a, wow, there's so much great advice right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just, just so much there. Um, God, that, that, that's brilliant. That, that whole like paragraph, I feel we should print out. Um, so... <laughs> 
when it comes to bringing this back to guitar, um, sure. <laughs> that's what this is about. Um, just in terms of playing as, as a guitar player, I suppose where to start? I mean, in terms of guitar playing, what is your current relationship with guitar playing? Do you, do you, I, I mean, we all have struggles with it where it's like something that, you know, is frustrating and sometimes playing is like the best thing. It's like forward to it every day. In terms of you, when you're coming, approaching a tour like this, like, are you on a, a, a rigorous practicing schedule? Are you, <laughs> clearly not, <laughs> judging by your, your response there. Um, I mean, in terms of like guitar playing, where, 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 where do you see yourself at as a guitar player? Um, well, I play a lot. Uh, I, play, I play every day and I do practice all the time. I've always been, it's always been impossible for me to do things that I don't find interesting. Yeah. I can't do it. I can't do something that I like, that I have to do, or that's important. You know, it's, it's just, it's just not how I think about things because, because I know something about every, every bridge that I crossed in, in the development. There's, there's linear motion towards your goal, meaning like if you want to play fast, you know, and you just crank a metronome, you kind of get closer every day. But then there's that point where you get to the wall and then, you know, and then you realize that linear learning hits this point and then you find out about something else. And it's not like the wall moves or you move. You just find out that you're in a one-dimensional model and the world of music is so much wider. It's like the sides of your vision open up. It's called lateral truth, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than linear truth. So you've just increased your field of consciousness uh, instead of pursuing a narrow goal. It's, and it requires a certain lack of focus which is the opposite of what anybody would tell you about practice because practicing is yeah. about trying to see farther with everything you currently know. But mm. what happens when your whole system of what you currently know is not wide enough? What if you need to know more things? You know, so there's an, there's an amount of floating around and searching for other ways of thinking that has to do with this lateral truth. And when I'm home, I really try to figure out different ways to think about what I'm doing. And the danger of this is that you change. And when you're in a band, it's not very good to change too much. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? So course, yeah. you, got, you got to stay anchored to something. Like I can't, I mean, I can do whatever I want, but at the co but everything's a, everything's a trade-off. So the, the real tricky thing about practicing is, uh, maintaining some sort of identity while letting yourself change and letting yourself get better i mean yeah yeah did you ever did you ever hear uh there's a story about like uh like how the how the whatever like the caterpillar turns into a butterfly mm -hmm. you know they they form this kind of like Cocoon. cocoon but then when you look inside the cocoon it's just goop it's goop primordial soup right so yeah exactly so the the i the, the the question is like is how much of yourself do you maintain you know through the through transformations right mm -hmm. if you're actually trying to change and become something else the truth is something probably, you know, yeah. but, uh, but, and, and it's good to stay related, especially for me, I guess, since we have our music, that's the one thing that's the constant, you know, that's the one thing that's kind of holding me in place. Uh, so I have to see, I have to see um, our music through the prism of where I am in life, yeah. you know, um, but I will say that if I stayed the same, I feel like I would be doing everybody a disservice because I do put out one album a year and it's my responsibility to make it slightly different or it's very boring. Yeah, it's, for everyone. You, you don't want to play the same way over the same things. You want to be in some sort of process that's moving. So 
I know that's not very specific uh, for guitar, but it's not like I'm practicing my modes. I pretty much know them. Mm. I play a lot of gypsy jazz because uh, mm. I, I love Django Reinhardt, and, um, yeah. and that's something I've been doing for the last, I don't know, like six, seven, eight years, something like that, uh, a lot, and got pretty deep into it. Uh, and that's it's interesting because it's a skill I picked up later in life, and it's very different technically than playing. Yes the style that I do with the restroke technique um, and all that stuff. So that's keeping, keeping me busy and is healthy and changing the way I, I physically have or has changed the way I physically approach even playing a strat. But yeah, it's just constantly thinking about, about things. I think that's, that's important. Constantly reevaluating all the material that makes up music, thinking about what it is that we're doing and, and creating a clearer and clearer pic- systematic picture for me in my own mind of what it all means. Amazing, yeah. And, yeah. Um, God, it's a lot to chew on there. And just so you know, uh, in our last interview, we kind of got, uh, with, with our last guest, we kind of got cut off for time because our Zoom meetings can only last for an X amount of time. So we have five minutes left uh, to oh. record. Um, just to just let you know, it's, it's one of the, the downsides of using the Zoom. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, sweet. So um, I, I suppose with that idea moving forward with like, you know, you guys are going on tour and you released your last album at the end of 2019. Right. Uh, so what's, what's next? Our next out, well, yeah, so we tour with material. Now the the stuff we're playing is going to be on our next album. We always tour with the next one. Which is Um, incredible, yeah. It's just a way, because before, a record has to record something. It's a record of something that happened, not something that you dreamt up in the studio. Uh, You know, I don't like songs that, it's just the wrong place to try things out, the studio. we are going, we just actually had a meeting over at Sweetwater Sounds, the, the distributor, and we're going to do a project with them in August and record our next album there. Brilliant. Uh, and they're going to sell tickets for, I think there's 16 tickets for people to just watch the whole recording process. They have a crazy, crazy good studio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, so that's next. This tour, we have two cruises. Uh, one is uh, Cruise to the Edge, which is Yes's cruise. And then uh, On the Blue, which is the Moody Blues cruise. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be good. And uh, I actually was just checking this morning to see if we can make customized hand sanitizer bottles that says <laughs> Shredding Corona. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh man! Oh, man, fantastic! Just, just, I, if yeah. I have one piece of advice to give you, is there is an, a GQ article if you Google it called um, "All Aboard the SS Kid Rock," which is about a music journalist who goes on tour on the the Kid Rock cruise. Mm-hmm. And it's if it just you know if you're looking for some reading to prepare you for your cruises, highly recommend yeah. it. One awesome. of my favorite pieces of music journalism. And um, sweet, that, thank you so much for joining us today. You've imparted oh. so much wisdom. And uh, yeah, once again, thanks so much. Thanks for, for having me. And um, so you guys are you're on Bandcamp and you're you're on Instagram. Yeah, marvinmusic.bandcamp.com, facebook.com/slash/marvinmusic, marvinmusic.com. Bandsintown.com slash Marvin. Yeah, Three okay, great. Yeah, um, from, from your live performances that I've seen on, on the, the videos, I mean, people who attend a gig are really in for a treat. It's, it's, yeah. it's really, really yeah, cool. Yeah, worth checking out, definitely. 100%, man. And keep doing what you're doing. And Thank yeah, you. We'll, we'll, we'll be in touch when this is out. And uh, yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, best luck with the tour, dude. Thanks. Sweet. So, God, yeah, that. So, yeah, we we kind of run out of time at the end, which is, uh, you know, sometimes when these interviews just go on, um, just we get kind of get swept up, we lose track of the time. But yeah, thanks again, Danny. We really appreciate you being on the on the pod. And yeah, uh, so John, major takeaways from this from this interview. Any any points you'd like to discuss? Ooh, oh man, the you so know, there's cover. a lot. Yeah, mm. one of the things that I thought was super interesting was when he said anything you do in music, especially instrumental music, is really a long game. Mm. That's, that's a massive takeaway. Yeah. He, he kind of hints at, you know, how a lot of bands, it, there's you, in the music business books and what you hear from music business, you got to break out in your local scene first. And, and, and that's and how you make success. So you play covers in a bar and then you write originals. And mm-hmm. he said it just, it, 
that's a myth. It doesn't really work that way. Most of these bands maybe did it for a couple of months or a year, you know, and that's more to just hone the chops after they've already got some stuff together. Yes. So th- that's, that's kind of an, in- two things there. There's, there's the, the fact that it really is a long game and because this myth of just being snatched up and, and, or playing these, these gigs, just, it's not, it doesn't really exist. Uh, yeah. And if you're doing instrumental stuff, you have to be thinking like long-term and how does this, how do I get from point A to point N to point X instead of point A to point B, you know? Yeah. So because this the, is a those, niche genre. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and whether that's, whether that's fusion or any other instrumental type thing, I follow a lot of DIY guitarists who are doing really cool instrumental things and it's difficult man there's there is a lot that they have to do and overcome and and the touring schedule is rigorous you know yeah. danny mentioned there like he hasn't had a day off tour since you know 2014 and if if they're not touring they're driving or they're writing like that's it it is it's 24 7 365 you know yeah and and it's it's a it's all consuming so yeah it is and it, it, <laughs> anyway yeah but what but i, I kind of sorry one no i was just gonna say what what were the things that you took away from it i think just to, just to talk about that i feel that sometimes like i have friends that are professional musicians i have friends that are like you know either cover musicians or wedding musicians or you know mm-hmm. they 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 do it for a living essentially and they get written off for being you know for not paying their dues and for not like getting a real job and mm-hmm. i think with someone like danny who's in a different world it, it, there's just so much work that goes into what he does and so much absolutely time and effort and money and investment of all of the above so I, I think that it was great to kind of get that get that perspective and you know he's he doesn't pull any punches in his attitude towards it all <laughs> like when it even comes to like his youtube comments like the man is so quick and sharp and witty <laughs> like he does not hold back he 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 really stands his ground what he does and i really respect that and um, he talked a lot about there about music school and that this has been mm. something that this is something that's come up a lot in our discussions and um, you went to music school i went to music school for like just two years uh just to do uh, a diploma and then an MA where I met your bad self and we've Ooh. discussed whether whether it is whether it is worth it and Danny went to Berkeley which is not like any other music school yeah. it's it's kind of like you know top tier so I, I liked his perspective on just you know it's not worth the investment in terms of what you can learn but as someone as a fellow uh, music school alumni well what alumno singular I don't know um, <laughs> uh, that's actually the plural. Yes, I know. That's why I'm calling you an alumni. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm calling about you. What would you? How, how would you discuss? Like, what would you think about this? This idea. Man. It's a big topic. You, yeah, it, it is. It is. Um, yeah, he really pulls no punches on it, and there's a lot of that that I definitely, definitely agree with. I think for me though. in terms of just learning stuff I think he's in in a in a lot of respects he's right um music school if you're gonna go you have to make the most of your opportunity at that place they're not going to give you anything special unless you go find it and and that's kind of that way with school no matter what like I also did a history degree and my history degree was great because I dug into the stuff I wanted to dig into and I found the yes. professors I wanted to work with. Music school is no different. If mm. you really think you need to go, which I think he raises some really good questions on whether or not you should, yeah. but you, you need to find a place and it may not be Berkeley. It may not be any school you've ever heard of, mm. but you need to find a place that is going to have like-minded people that are wanting to do similar things and people where it's Berkeley and some of these other schools, I, I think honestly, like Belmont tend to be like conveyor belt, uh, you know, assembly line music schools. Doesn't yeah. mean you can't get something out of it. It means their goal is to turn out, you know, C to B level musicians on a regular basis to earn them a yeah. good enough name to get people to come in through the door the next time around. So yeah, that's a good point. 
but that said, I mean, I met some, I met and played with some amazing musicians, uh, both at the University of Colorado and at Belmont. And I think, I think making the most of your opportunity for the, the time that you are there is really important. And a big part of that is actually knowing as much as you possibly can before you go. So I've got mm. a student who just auditioned for Berkeley. I've got uh, another student who's at a music school here in Colorado and both of these guys and another one who's going next year and another one. Mm. Um, so the, uh, the, the point is, is I tell these guys like, Hey, really the most important thing you can do is make sure you are up to speed on all of your theory, all of your fretboard knowledge and all of that, because you don't want to be wasting your lesson time going through stuff that I yeah. can teach you honestly. Yeah. Or that, you know, if you find a way to systematize it that you can find on the internet and you want to be able to know your fretboard well enough, you want to be able to play. If you get a chart in front of you because you have to play in an ensemble, you don't, you're not spending four hours practicing a tune. You might spend 30 minutes or an hour and then yep. you're off gigging with people you want to interact with. You know, Danny mentioned he had met friends at Berkeley that he's playing with now. And I think that's really what's important about these schools is where you make these connections and you build these friendships that hopefully last a lifetime. And these are people that you can count on as musicians and that will be on your team that support you musically and you support them. Uh, when yeah. you look at Adam Neely, for example, um, there's another music school graduate, but a lot of the people he plays with are people he went to school with. So yeah. it's for me, music school should be more about finding interesting people to work with whether they're your your professors and finding interesting musicians to work with it's a good yeah. place to network but it is very yeah you, you really have to ask yourself is it necessary for what i want to do with music and it may not yeah. be it genuinely may not be and certainly weigh the cost of it as danny said because it's just Especially Berkeley. Berkeley now is, I don't know, 50, 60 a year or something like that. <laughs> it's, oof. I, I'm you Americans, go with him on that. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah, insane. I, I don't a, think it's worth it. That's part of the reason I went to Ireland for the MA. But yes. Yeah. There yeah. you go. So there you go. Um, <laughs> anyway, so th that's my take on the music school stuff. But do you have any, any other takeaways from the interview that really that you thought were? I We're think like for, for me, uh, for me, I hate saying that um, for, for, for myself, I, I found that I just looking at the touring schedule and I found that I feel living on a small Ireland on the West coast of Europe, on the West side of Europe, that I feel that we're kind of deprived of some of the amazing acts that are touring and, really you know, whether it's like, you know, I remember interviewing, I interviewed Asa Brock for a magazine a few years ago. And I remember like asking at the end, I was like, I was like, Are there, is there any chance you'd ever come to Ireland? He's like, no, man, I can't afford that. So it's just that whole thing. It's just, you know, you're choosing to, to tour as a musician, but that doesn't mean, you know, in America, there's going to be a very niche audience. You know, it's so expansive that you're going to be able to, you know, make a living maybe from what you do. But I was just like, oh, I'd love to see these guys live, but there's never going to be a chance unless I come over to the States, which you never know when all this yeah. is blown over. But I think it's, I feel that, you know, Ireland is very convenient in terms of like, it doesn't take us very long to get from one side of the country to the other. But then again, over in like Colorado Springs, you're not that far from Denver. So you can go there for gigs, which like everyone's going to play there. So I'm like, Oh God, you know, I just, I feel that you guys have a lot of opportunities to see the kind of music that we wouldn't always get to see. So I was feeling a bit jealous of that, but you know, <laughs> that's, 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 I think it's great that he's doing what he's doing. And Danny, uh, thank you so much for reaching out to us this was one of the best interviews we've ever done and i i'm not just saying that yeah um, it was a lot of fun absolutely hilarious uh yeah hopefully we can get get him back on the show sometime soon so that's it man i really so john what have you been working on what have i been working on so the last couple of weeks have been really crazy with this because I essentially i had to move the entire studio into my guest bedroom and that's <laughs> It has caused a lot of consternation in terms of setup and that sort of thing. So, but um, I've, there's two things. I've decided to sort of pick up classical, classical guitar again. I haven't cool. really done much with it for the last year, uh, just because there's something about it that I find really 
relaxing and really intimate and I yes. really enjoy that process. And, and it's, it's very focused when, when you're working on something in the classical setting, you have to kind of really focus on playing a particular measure or two measures or whatever over and over again in order to get all the things right. It really cool. exposes your dynamics, you know, with your right hand and your vibrato and your, yeah. your, uh, your legato in your left hand. And so you really have to think about phrasing because kind of, you know, when you throw on a bunch of distortion on an electric guitar, you don't have to think about your pick attack as much yeah. and your dynamics as much. And there's a lot of guitar solos that maybe while you're learning them, not that they're bad, it's just they're, they're not very involved when it comes to right hand dynamics, mm. which is, it causes you to think about how you play a little more. And that's been translating over into the electric stuff that I've been practicing too, so that I think about, okay, how am I attacking the string here? What kind of, how much noise am I making with it, et cetera. So, yeah, um, I find that so intimidating about classical guitar, just the, just the idea of not using a pick and just- It exposes uh, all your flaws, oh yeah. my gosh. Um, yeah, if, if I need if I need that kind of, I just call my dad on the phone. And he'll just tell me. <laughs> oh, um, oh. <laughs> peek behind the curtain there. No, I'm joking, uh, Dad. You're not listening. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that that sounds cool. I mean, that's good that it's it's translating. That it's. I find I don't know that about classical guitar. It's like it's just so. I don't know. I don't think I I would sit down and learn it if I feel that there would be like trans transferable stuff uh, which there is obviously but not for the kind of music i want to play and in just terms of yeah. like the whole right hand technique it's just um i'm never straying from like hybrid picking with the pick like if i <laughs> yeah if i don't have if i don't have a guitar pick on me i am uh useless um sweet that's a that's a good thing to to be bringing back yeah, just to take, yeah. get some space from the craziness of everything else yeah it's like i said it's it's very intimate and it kind of just blocks out everything else which is really nice so but anyway enough about me let's talk about you me the uh, man of the hour no i have been uh what have i been working on so i've been you know still doing like i'm still working full-time uh 40 hours a week as a copywriter so i uh i'm still making time nice to be evenings. employed it is nice to be employed and i am very lucky and i i am able to to kind of see that now it's kind of opened a lot of opened my eyes in terms of you know, the, the perspective of, of working a nine to five. So yeah, I'm still doing about 30, 40 minutes of guitar a day, uh, just by itself playing it for the sake of it. And yeah, I mean, I've been just doing one of those things where I'm not beating myself up for not sitting down and playing with like, you know, no distractions. Like if I'm, so one th one of the things I am learning right now is I put a thing on Instagram asking what solos I should learn. And somebody said, um, have you ever sat down and learned Crazy Train? And I was like, oh, I've never actually learned that solo before. So uh, so it's it's a beaut. Like, it's so nice because it's one of those solos, like I've spoken before, you can I can kind of like sing, hum. It's you, every part. Like, it's broken down into these really, really cool parts. So like you, so I went to a Chris Zupa lesson and I went through a few other people just to see who had broken it down. And there's that little run at the end. Uh, I think it's like a D Mixolydian run or something. Uh, it's it's all sextuplets and it's it's just all it's all legato, but it's yeah. it's so it's so fast that that is something I've literally been like I'll stick on an episode of Clone Wars or something on Disney Plus and I'll just play that with a metronome like up and down, and just bringing up the BPM like just one. BPN every every like two or three days and it's been great like it's been cool because it's something that it's progress that i can measure and that i can see that okay yeah. this is literally two bars of music that i'm just trying to like hammer through have you ever learned it uh no not not note for note man like bits and yeah. pieces of it but yeah you know what's funny uh, is i Randy's almost amazing. picked a randy rhodes uh, oh really uh, for today's look of the week yeah i was kind of i was kind of tempted to do in fact crazy train and i was like eh. it's so good i did that live version that he does is it live at budokan or something with yeah so, yeah yeah so good and uh, seeing zach wilde play it as well like i think every guitarist has their own way of approaching it but zach wilde's version like he has there's this like 11 second clip of him playing at like lightning speed and it's just like no there's no legato there like everything is just 
like alternate pick. It's he's a beast. But yeah, so that and it's so funny. I like I found this version of somebody playing that Brad Paisley song Cluster Pluck that on on YouTube that I'd never found before. And there's this one there was this one four four measure piece in it that I was like I'm never going to be able to get that in terms of picking. And then I found a footage of this guy playing it because there's no footage of Brad Paisley playing it because it's all these different guitars. Mm. And this guy is doing it with hybrid. I'm like, oh, that's how it's done. So I've actually been able to do it there now. And I was just, so it's re- it's, it was a real breakthrough. So yeah, I think that's a good lesson to take from this. If you're not sure how something's done or you just can't figure it out, just see how other people are doing it right. and just rip them off. Um, but yeah, have you been listening to anything new or in terms of mm. music? Uh, in terms of music as opposed to other things? Podcasts, uh, everybody does podcasts. Yeah, podcasts. Uh, honestly, not a whole lot. I've just been kind of going through, you know, what I have been doing though, is I have been going through my library of music, the stuff that I regularly listen to, or I do have old stuff on iTunes still, because mm-hmm. it's, I have all of those. Um, and just going back and I'm starting to make a list of riffs that not not super difficult riffs, but just riffs that like that's cool and I've never learned that and I should do that. So yeah. it's not really it, it's it's not really specifically what I've been listening to, but I'm just kind of like going through my library and just listening to things, random things, mm. and uh, everything from you know Coltrane stuff because there was a uh, uh, the bass player for Covet. Uh, that's Yvette Young's band. Yes. Um, Adam Adamak, uh, or I think, I, I'm not sure how to say his name, uh, but since this is a guitar podcast, he's probably not listening. So anyway, he did a cover of a solo from A Love Supreme. And I was like, holy cow, I should learn how to play some of these licks. And then that inspired me to go through and just listen to a whole bunch of old stuff. And uh, my oldest son has discovered the police. Yes. So, <laughs> we go go back and listen to our episode on the police and if if you hate it episode and there's some great <laughs> Andy Summers riffs uh there, oh, yeah. that are, I think are, are stretch really your good. fingers. Oh yeah, absolutely. So anyway, point being not not anything specific but definitely going back and just listening to a lot of stuff that I just have in my library. Um also partly inspired by a student working on master of puppets and i was like you know what there's there's this riff kind of like in the middle there that i never really thought about now the down james hetfield down picking like forget it i'm not even gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna alternate alternate pick that all day like yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go the easy way thank you it makes life (laughs) so much easier i don't know how he does it it's ridiculous especially anyway, that riff that like is like that's just yep. like all down picked it's ridiculous it's just too much <sighs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so, i know yeah. i know we slag off metallica a lot but there's um that rhythm playing like is it's insane you know like yeah. uh, anyway anyway that's another episode uh, yeah for you i would like to know what you've been listening to and by consequence, what I should be listening to this week. <laughs> so I've been going through just back and forth between two bands for the last week or so. Um, one of which is this. I watched a documentary called No Distance Left to Run, uh, which is a documentary on the comeback of Blur. And like back in the, what? you know, I remember. Yeah. So like they Blur. Did, yeah. So they came back and like. <laughs> I'm sorry. I genuinely didn't know that. Yeah, okay, so I, I saw I saw Blur like three years ago um, at a music wow. festival, and yeah, so I there, watched this documentary. I'm like, I forgot how many good songs they have. So like that was a big thing growing up in Ireland in the '90s. It was like Blur and Oasis, and it was this rivalry, and you know. But Blur, are, I re, I think, in terms of like music, what they're doing is so much more interesting because Graham Coxon is such a good guitar player, and just in terms of the genre, he really knows what he's doing. He's really, really into effects. He can write some really great melodies, and he's so much better. I think, in my eyes, so much better than Noel Gallagher, and Noel Gallagher said it himself, um, how much of a better guitarist he is. So, yeah, so I've been mm-hmm. listening back to them, and just in terms of, like, you know, Park Life, and Modern Life is Rubbish, and The Great Escape. Some really, really good albums there. The other band that I've sort of, like, really gotten into 
is uh, an Irish band called The Scratch. Now, I don't know if I've mentioned them before, but The Scratch are four guys from Dublin who essentially uh, started off busking and were, were on the dole for years. The Scratch is Irish slang for the dole, which is like our social welfare. And mm. they have just released their first album. And essentially what it is, is like on paper, I would hate this but I really, really like it. It's essentially traditional music or like an open, open tuning dad gad music played by essentially metalheads and uh, with not a drum kit, but with a cajon. And I'm like, that sounds what? like absolute hell. And it is so good because it's all, it's really, really witty. It's um, the production of the recordings. Like I've never heard a cajon ever sound so good on a recording like it sounds so full and it's just it's class so yeah they've been they uh, have been developing a cult following in ireland for the last two or three years and they just released their first album and uh yeah it, i highly recommend the scratch checking that out their album is called couldn't give a rats um, <laughs> couldn't give a rats ours. and uh, yeah it's great <laughs> really 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 good so yeah really really nice stuff there and um, <laughs> I, I showed it to a few people in like in work who uh, would be you know music lovers but would also be like from the states and they can't really make out a lot of what your man is saying so if you want to test your knowledge Ooh. of irish slang <laughs> uh, give, it, give it a listen I feel um, so ill-prepared. Yeah, you you didn't use enough of it, to be honest. That's Matty it. I, uses I, I, a bit more. So. He does, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hello, Matthew. Um, so that's our episode, friends. Uh, it, it bands, if anybody knows any bands that would like to be featured on the podcast or would like an interview or something like that, I might actually reach out to the Scratch because they're really, really good guitar players. There's two of them in it. Um, they, they actually have one medley. These guys look play. so twee. Oh, my gosh. No, no, no. That's a that's a joke photo. The album cover is okay, a joke photo. Yeah, yeah it's okay, it's like a okay. skit on that's the boy band awesome. thing, but they. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's there's there's <laughs> another video here called the Punisher. Which, yeah, oh, they're, they're they're so good. Like they're really really good guitarists. In one of their um, medleys that they do, they play all of the main uh, river dance theme tune. <laughs> um, oh my gosh! Yeah, so I highly recommend that's amazing. them. Uh, yeah, so we might I might reach out to the scratch and see if they'd like to like an interview. That'd on be class. They, Let's do they're that. Really, really good. Yeah. Um, kind of make a note of that. Uh, friends, if you have any requests for topics or stuff you'd like for us to cover on the pod, please reach out to us at sharpenthatax at gmail.com. Thank you very much to Danny for being our guest this week. And yeah, um, we will be doing more stuff on Patreon and Instagram very soon. And yeah, looking forward to the future and being able to do this podcast remotely. Everybody's like, oh, I have to do our podcast remotely now. I'm like, we've been doing this remotely for like three years. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are late to the show. Come on. Amateur, amateur hour over here. Um, um, yeah, so uh, John, anything you'd like to add for the, our lovely listeners? No, I don't think so. Cool, great episode, if I do say so ourselves. <laughs> Until next time, stay sharp, everybody.